0: Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org.
1: Good morning. We are all uh, impacted by labels. The label on our clothes could, could be important to us because it says, this is who I am. Uh, because this is what I bought. If you're in high school, your friends can label you. So it's not just so you have to figure out who you want to hang out with. You have to figure out how you want to be labeled. And what labels us determines who we are. We, we can do this with our cars. Um, I don't, but <laughs> some of us might. Uh, we can do this with our our neighborhood our neighborhoods. We can do this with our houses. We can do this with our education. We can do it with our, with our job. And, or if you think about the, the gender pronoun debate Regardless of what side of the argument you may be on, what we're all saying is that what you call someone is important. What you label someone is important. It it communicates who you are. Uh, We are all a collection of labels, and the label we most identify with is the label that defines who we are. Now, most of the labels that we carry are external, uh, but there isn't an internal label that gets tattooed on our hearts, on our soul, that has the biggest impact. It affects how we see God. It affects how we see ourselves. It affects how we treat other people. And the, and the longer I pastor, the more I think about like, like the soul of a person and what drives them. And, and what I'm realizing is that most people, non-Christians, but even Christians, live with the label of orphan. They live with a label that makes them feel anonymous, that that makes them feel abandoned, afraid, unloved, unwanted, that causes them to strive, to fear, to chase, to isolate, to deconstruct. Uh, There's a quote by author Jack Frost, not the Jack Frost from Christmas. He said, "The, uh, the orphan spirit causes one to live as though he does not have a safe and secure place in the father's heart. He feels he has no place of affirmation, protection, comfort, belonging, or affection, self-orientated, lonely, and inwardly isolated. He has no one from whom to draw godly inheritance. Therefore, he has to strive, achieve, compete, and earn everything he gets in life. It easily leads to a life of anxiety, fears, and frustration. God created you and I to belong. He created us to be treasured. He created us to both receive love and give love. And so this idea that God has adopted us into our family, it's it's more than just that he's made us new from the inside. It's more than just he has forgiven our sins. There's something in this idea that we've been adopted, that we belong, that we are a part that should crash on our souls like a bombshell. Like This is amazing, because every other religion says that you can relate to the Creator you know, uh, of, of the universe by being his citizen, by being his follower, by being his student, by being his servant. But only Christianity says that your creator can be your father. And today is a Adoption Sunday, as, as it says up there. And we are celebrating, this is true, we are celebrating and promoting adoption and foster care at Jubilee Church. Since launching this ministry uh, four years ago, uh, 16 children have been adopted, 62 children have received foster care. There are currently 11 families who are actively fostering two families who are in the process of adopting. So those numbers will go up. And, we, and this is awesome. And we hope for more. and We're celebrating for more. We're encouraging more. But <clears throat> the deepest and strongest foundation of adoption is located not in the act of, of human beings adopting human beings, but in God adopting human beings. And this is important because more than we want to maintain and create a ministry of adoption, we want to create and maintain a culture of adoption. And a culture of adoption is something that comes from and is sustained by God, which will outlast, outproduce, outjoy, outlove anything that we could ever hope or imagine. So before we can contemplate what you and I can do for other people, we must first contemplate what God has done for us. But more than that, receive what God has done for us wants to contemplate what God has done for us, but want us, want us to receive in our, in our hearts what God has done for us. So what has God done for us? Well, I mean, the reality is we, are all, we all were born as orphans. We were all alienated. We were all, uh, we may, we were all his creatures, but we were not all his children. Um, Verse 3 says, these, we were enslaved by these elementary principles of the world. And, and if you read in verse 9, it, it gets into a, 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 similar, a similar language. And when it's talking about being enslaved by the elementary principles of this world, it's talking about being enslaved by something that is demonic, which I want to demystify that for a second. All that means is relying on yourself. So it says that we have been enslaved by something. What we are enslaved by is self-reliance. Instead of God-reliance, we're re- relied on ourselves and we're all born into that. We're, a bo- we're all born into this, this reality of rebellion and rejection of God. Ephesians 2.3 says that we are by nature children of wrath. Well, that's an intense world. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, sometimes when you adopt someone, <clears throat> you go to the hospital, and, and it, it's a pretty decent situation. Sometimes people get adopted out of really terrible situations: uh, abuse, neglect, addiction very, very dark situations. Here's what's true for all of us spiritually. We were all adopted out of very, very dark situation. We were orphaned, we were alienated. We were not a part. And so that's why we carry the old wounds of our past. And this is why God, more than God just wants us to know in our minds, he wants us to live with something tattooed on our soul that we are his, that we have this, we're living with this spirit of adoption. And so that's what we need to be renewed by. And that's what we're, I hope, but before, my hope before we're all done is that we would all invite the spirit of God in such a way that it would, uh, that we would do what the Scripture says, which is that we would cry out from our depths, that Abba, Father. And so God wants you to know that you have been chosen, that you have been adopted, uh, which means that we have been redeemed. That there was a a price that had to be paid. Galatians uh, five four says, excuse me, four five says, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So in order for us to receive adoptions adoption as son, that we had to be redeemed. A price had to be paid, in other words. And adoption is expensive. I mean, we raised thousands and thousands of dollars to help families adopt and do foster care because it's very, very expensive. Your adoption was very, very expensive. It was the blood of Jesus. He paid the price with his life. There is no discrepancy on what he paid. He paid with his life, and he was willing to do so. Think about uh, the parable of the prodigal son, which most of us would know a little bit about. It's, you can read about it in Luke 15. But basically, um, in this story, there's a father, and he had two sons. One of the sons, the younger son, the, the prodigal son, said, I want my inheritance now. In other words, what he was saying is, I wish you were dead. I mean, I'd re- I want your stuff. I don't really care about you. I just want your money. So he says that to the father. He leaves. He blows it all on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He has a moment where he comes to his senses when he's eating with the pigs and he goes back and says, you know, it's better to be a slave in my father's household. So he goes back wanting to be brought back as a slave, but the father says, no, I'm bringing you back as my son. I'm gonna bring you back to my table and I'm going to bring you back with full rights of sonship. Now, the older brother says, hey, wait a minute. You're welcoming him back, but you're welcoming him back at my expense because everything that you have is mine. You see, you, he, he got his inheritance, so everything you now have is coming to me. So when you kill that fatted calf, that's my fatted calf. When you put on that robe, that's my robe. When you put on that ring, that's my ring. You cannot bring him back because you're bringing him back at my expense. And I've done nothing wrong. Why are you making me pay his debt? In 1989, um, there were five of us kids. I, I was f- nearing 14 years old. I had an older brother who was 15. And, and there was five of us at the time. And um, my, my mom and dad sat us down on the couch uh, sometime in the spring of that year, maybe early summer. And they said, hey, we've got some news to share with you. Uh, you're, there's gonna be, there's gonna be an, you're gonna have another uh, brother or sister. There's gonna be a, a sixth one in the family. Just wanna let you know that we're pregnant and my, my older brother, John, stood up immediately and said, what are you thinking? And then stormed out. And um, he did that because, by the way, that number six was Michael playing the drums today. I don't know if he's here. Welcome. He's returned, the prodigal son has returned. The, uh, no, that's not what the analogy goes. But what my brother was saying is like, look, You know, there's five of us, and we already have to share a lot of limited space. We're sharing limited food. We're sharing limited, you know, Christmas presents and things like that. And now this is coming. You bringing this child into the world is coming at my expense. What are you thinking? We have an older brother in Jesus who is willing to pay the expense for us to be brought into his family. In fact, it says in Hebrews 12 that for the joy set before him. This is great news. More people in the family, Jesus says. Here's the reality. It, it, it costs, it, we have to pay a price. So for us to live with a, 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 a culture of adoption at this church is that we have, to be, we have to be willing to pay the price for other people to come in. Sometimes that's not always easy. Sometimes that can be practical. Sometimes that can be preference. Sometimes that can be just the way we like things, because things have to evolve and change. We have to pay the price. i, I was so grateful uh, to be a part of a church though that is willing to pay the price. I, you know, uh, before this building and before the pandemic, we met in Nifer Middle School, and there were people who were willing to pay the price to set up week in and week out. And uh, by the way, I just think we need to thank them again. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to be thanking these people. And then people shelled out a lot of cash to buy this building. This building, by the way, is not for us. This building is for more and more people to be adopted into the family of God. That's what this is for. And people spent a lot of money, gave a lot of money so that we could have this. But it's not for us. It's for others, people gave up of themselves, they sacrifice this to happen. And, that, and that's why, you know, you know, why why people serve. What, what, is it, what does it mean to serve? What does it mean to be back there in J Kids? What does it mean to do all the things that people do to make this happen? It means being the older brother who's willing to pay the price for more people to come in. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not, but that's where the rubber hits the road. And so we have an older brother in Jesus who was willing to welcome us back at his own expense. He was blameless. He paid a debt that he didn't owe, and he's now not ashamed to call us brothers. So in adopting us, he paid the price, but it also changed our legal stat- status. In adopting a child, there's legal realities that have to be dealt with, and there's a legal reality that had to be dealt with in you becoming a part of God's family. In order to be a part of God's family, you need to be perfect, you need righteousness, and, and if you don't have that, you need someone to pay the price for your lack of righteousness. In Jesus, he did two things. Number one, he fulfilled the law perfectly. It says in Matthew 5, Jesus said of himself, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he did fulfill it. He fulfilled the law. He was perfect. And then he went to the cross to die, not for his sin, but for your sin and for my sin. So he paid the redemption price. And it also says that he didn't just pay the price for our sin, but he gave us his perfect record. He that knew no sin became our sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. So our legal status changed. One from from, um, lawbreaker to law fulfiller. And it wasn't, the, we didn't do that, but it's something that Christ has given us. But not only that, he has blessed us, and this is where I want to land today, he has blessed us with a spirit of sonship. Because sometimes we forget. In fact, the big, the big picture of this letter to the Galatians is that they began with like, yes, I am, I'm leaving a life of self-reliance. You know, like my, my righteousness depends on me. My, my, my identity depends on me. You know, what I have is, you know, what I earn. I'm, I'm leaving a life of self-reliance and I am embracing a life of, of God reliance. And so they did that. And then he comes back to find out that they have, they left that life. They, they, they stopped acting like sons of God. They stopped acting like daughters of God and they started acting like orphans again. They, they felt like, okay, I don't have, a, I don't have this anymore. And so he says that, so in that verse, in uh, verse six, it says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. By the way, when the, when the Bible says sons, it's talking about male sons and female sons, right? So don't, ladies, don't wig out that just referring to guys, just like, you know, guys shouldn't wig out when we're referred to as the bride of Christ, like it, it. It, it's just the way, it's Bible language there. Anyway, so it's talking about sons and daughters, you could say. And so what he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to put a, a, a spirit of sonship. He wants, to, he wants us to know deep inside of us, it's tattooed on our hearts, on our soul, that we are loved and accepted. I look at old photos of our kids a lot um, to remind me, to remind, like when, that, that, you know, when they used to reach out You know, daddy. You know, like when they're real little, and and uh, because they're my babies, and you know, my my son, my 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 girls, and they'll always be my kids, uh, regardless if they get A's in school or F's in school, whether they do what I ask them to do or they don't do what I ask them to do. My heart is to move toward them, uh, to love them, And, and that is God's heart toward us. He is always moving toward you. He is always he's always leaning in. The picture that we see. In Revelation, it says in Revelation three that, that he's, he's at the door knocking. So he's always like there. He's, he seems like he's far away, but he's not far away. He's very, very near. And he wants to communicate how much he loves you. And when he wants to communicate how much he loves you and how much that you are, in fact, a child, he doesn't, he doesn't go for the head, he goes for the heart. Just like, you know, if I want to communicate that, that my kids, hey, you're really my kids, I don't go back, you know, downstairs into the file cabinet and pull out their birth certificate and say, hey, look, see, you're my child. I hug them, I kiss them, if, you know, if, if I can catch them. And and all right, take them to Starbucks or something. Like I, you know, I I want to commute, I want them to feel it. And that's what God wants you. God wants you to feel it. He doesn't just want you to know it. He wants you to, to feel it deep inside of you. Think about what the father did again in the story of the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, verse 20, it says, But but while he that is the prodigal son was still a long way off. Let me just pause there and say, you may feel right now that you are a long way off but I want you to know that God sees you. He didn't just see you. It says that he's filled with compassion and he's running. Let me just say, in that, Hebrew men in that culture did not run. They did not run. This was a very undignified move by this father because of his passion for you because of his love for you. If you feel distant, I man, he sees you, and he feels with compassion, and he's running towards you, not to show you a legal document, but to pick you up, and to hug you, and to kiss you, and to put deep within you this spirit of sonship. And maybe you've never received this ever, hey, today's a great day to receive this for the very first time. But it also may be possible that although that you are a Christian and you, you have this head knowledge that, that you are a Christian, but you, don't, but you don't live with that label, that you are accepted. And there is no striving. There is no uh, uh, seeking for approval. There's just acceptance and, 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 and love. And you know that you know that you know that you know that he is He's got you and that you have, you have an inheritance and the full rights of, of sonship. Well, How do you know? This is, I'm gonna show you a few things, a little chart to, to see where, how you might score on this one. Um, so when you think about the image of God, <clears throat> the heart of an orphan sees God as a master. The heart of a son sees God as a father. Let's go to the next one. Dependency. Are you self-reliant? Or do you acknowledge need? Go to the next one. Need for approval. Do you strive for praise and approval from others? Or do you just feel totally accepted in God's love? Let's keep going, guys. A motive for service. Uh, you, you, need, you need, this is a big one. Like, why do you serve? You need personal achievement as you seek to impress others, or you have no motivation to serve. Or so, can we go back? To, let, me, let me let me finish what I'm. Uh, Sir, <laughs> we did not rehearse this. <laughs> Service is motivated by a deep gratitude for being unconditionally loved and accepted by God. You just like love being a part. Of, you want to contribute to the family. You like, you're your part. Motive for purity. Must be holy to have God's favor. You know, guilt, shame all the time. Or you want to be holy because you don't want anything to hinder intimacy with God. Self-image. Self-rejection from constantly comparing yourself to others are positive and affirm because you know that you have such value to God. I mean, if the king of the universe thinks you're beautiful, you know, who cares what someone else thinks? Peer relationships. Competition, rivalry, Jealousy. Success and position or humility and unity, able to rejoice in other people's blessings and success. Hailing faults, accusation, and exposure in order to make yourself look good by making other people look bad. It's a lot of that in our culture. Maybe in you, looking to point, oh man, I can't believe they did this, and da-da-da-da. Or does love covers as you seek to restore others in a spirit of love and gentleness? View of authority, ooh, this is a big one. See authority as a source of pain, distrustful toward them, and lack of attitude toward submission. You know, one of, the, one of the words that you could put over the life of Jesus, the banner of his life was yielded. He said, I only do honoring what I see the Father doing. Heart of a son, respectful honoring. You see them as ministers of God for good in your life. Admonition, correction, difficulty, receiving, correction, feelings constantly being hurt. See, receiving it as of correction, as a blessing and a need, so faults are exposed and put to death. You know, hey, I, I'm fully accepted by God. I know I'm gonna make mistakes, and it's always a blessing to me when it's pointed out. Oh, here's one, the future. You gotta fight for what you get. Or you know that you're gonna inherit the world one day. So you don't need to grab anything in this life because everything's going to be yours. You know that this life is a moment. And one day, you'll receive everything. How did you see yourself? Are you, you see yourself more on the right side or more on the left side? Well, let me just say that if there's any way that the left side applies, I think God wants to change that for you today. And it really is possible. So here's what I want to do. Before we move on, could you just stand? We're gonna, we've got some cool stories to show you here in a minute, but could you just stand? I want you, I just wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that we would just all receive this. This is something we all need to receive all of the time. In fact, Paul would often pray. He would say things that sound confusing. He says that you have fullness in Christ, but then he would pray, I pray that you may be filled. <laughs> so it's like we have we, God gives us everything that we need, but He wants to make He wants us to experience the reality, the objective reality, subjectively all the time, and He does that by His Spirit. So Paul prayed um, his prayer for the Ephesians when they were going through a tough time was not that their outer life would get stronger, but their inner life would get stronger. That they would know the height, the width, the depth, the length of God's love that would be poured out by the Spirit deep. In their heart and so what we what i'm saying is that you receive god's spirit you say god i want your spirit to, to invade my life I, I i i know that my name is on the birth certificate but i've just not felt you hug me i've not felt you love me i've not felt the joy of knowing that i really am accepted that i really am a part and i have confidence I feel fearful. In fact, even, even the reality of what I'm asking you to do makes you feel afraid right now. Some of you are, are feeling, you are already have your hands out because you, you don't want to ask for this because you don't want to be rejected. I just want to say like, man, God's heart is for you. He may seem distant, but he's not. He's running, he's hiking up his skirt and running after you. They wore skirts back then, by the way, sorry. Important information. <laughs> So, I'm just going to pray. And he he just that God's the, the identity that you live with the most is that you are a son, that you are a daughter. If you've never received Jesus before, if you've never, if you don't actually legally know, if you've not accepted his forgiveness and accepted his gift of righteousness, you've never done that. That's your prayer right now. Say, God, I want to receive this. I want to, I want it in the family. He's, he's always, the good news is God is, is always in the adoption business. He never turns anyone away. And maybe you would receive that today. I want, to, I want to pray for us. God, I just, Father, what an amazing thing. Your plan, you wanted relationship we treated you as rebels, we did not come looking for you, but you came looking for us. And Jesus, thank you for paying the price for our redemption. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross. You wanted to to be the good older brother that let us all in at your expense. You had everything. You had all the love and acceptance in the Godhead. And you descended and became one of us, lived a perfect life, and then went to the cross to pay for our sin. And now you give us this righteousness. And Holy Spirit, oh, how we need you to come make that real in our hearts. Just pray for that right now. I pray that a a spirit of sonship would fall upon every heart. If you you have trusted Jesus as your Savior with with open hands and an open heart, just say, God, I want to receive this. I see myself on the left side. I I see myself acting like an orphan. I, I I want to move and act like a son, a daughter. So just receive, let him, God, I pray, would you just come upon us, Lord, that we would receive this spirit, that we'd be filled with joy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your good, good gifts. Thank you, Jesus. It says in Acts 17 that that the sovereign God of of the world, the creator of the universe, Paul says that he has allotted where we live, when we live, that we might seek him. And then he says, we are not far off, as we would suppose. No, we're, we're, we're near to him. He may seem distant to you, and you may not even know why you're here. I just want you to know that the, the reason why you live in 2021, the reason why you are in this part of the world, it's, for, it's all for one thing. It's a divine setup so that you would find him and experience him and live with him forever. Receive that spirit that says that you are loved, that you are accepted, that you are pursued, that you are protected, that you are made right, that you have his approval and that you have his inheritance he has so much in store Paul says that no eye has ever seen or imagined what he has in store for us but he wants to make, he wants to give you the Bible uses language like a deposit like you put a a, a deposit on a house you don't pay for it all but he gives you a little bit he wants to give you a little bit of that in his spirit coming in you and upon you. And here's the effect. You're going you're gonna to feel confident. You're going to feel approved. And here's the other thing. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're going to engage not just as a son, as in a daughter, but you are part of a spiritual family. You're going to engage as a brother and a sister. That's one of the effects that you, that you pursue community. That's why a big part it is we want to help people know God. We want to help people to find family. Because we are orphaned. We are lost alone. We are isolated. It's, God doesn't just want to save you transactionally and individually, but he wants to bring you into something that's global and historic and wonderful. I, was, I heard someone say recently to me, giving a, a testimony of, of their experience of this spiritual family. They said, you know, I went through a season of my life where I was living out of other people's pockets. In other words, everything that they had, they had from other people. Uh, they had help with their kids from other people. They had they, even money, even uh, uh, emotional support, all kinds of things. They were, they were living in other people's pockets. And, and that's, the, that's the picture, that we are dependent, that we are needs, and God uses. God uses the people of God to bless the people of God and through the people of God, the world. And we're, we, we love the family business. The family business is the business of adoption. That we would be those who seek and save that which is lost. Just as he runs after you, we in turn go run after others. and We gather them in. God, we pray, would you, would you breathe on us we, we, we don't just want a ministry of adoption. We want a culture of adoption. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you have a seat? I do want to show you a couple stories of some people who have taken on this call uh, to engage adoption and foster care. And maybe, maybe God would inspire you to do something similar.
2: So in 2018 on Adoption Sunday, three years ago, almost to the day, is when we first felt like God was calling us into this whole idea of fostering. And so what it really turned into next for us was about 18 months or so of really praying and going through the licensing process to ultimately become foster parents in the middle of a pandemic in 2020 in May. And one thing that really stuck out to us throughout that time was a verse in Psalms, uh, Psalm 68, where David describes um, God as this protector of the widows and father to the fatherless. And that really stuck out to us as we were just weighing our calling into this space because over time, we really felt like, yes, this is what we're being called to do. And so from May to now, we've had roughly 20 children in our home Um, anywhere from the ages of zero, a newborn baby, to 16-year-old teenagers. Um, And that's in addition to our three biological kids that are um, all under the age of six. And so we really feel like God has called us to this over the last 18 months.
3: One response we typically get when people find out we're foster parents is they'll say, oh that's so generous of you. And we just want to point back to God's generosity towards us that he sent his son Jesus to die for us and His love is so generous towards us that we're both broken and messy people and the foster care system is very broken and messy and we just wanna extend that love and mercy from God back to the families that we're we're helping. And um, it's honestly been such a gift to us because fostering has increased our reliance on God so much and deepened our prayer lives. It's really expanded our worldview. It's been a great way to talk to our kids about what it looks like to have biblical compassion and justice, and um, we really just feel like God's been doing so much in us while He uses us to love these families and kids.
2: Yeah, and we really believe that God has given us a lot of things. He's given us our home, our kids, our money, even our lifestyle to that matter. And really, it's our exchange of like our outpouring of our love for Him that calls us to give back into these kids. You know, I really think that we'd be crazy if we didn't believe in Jesus for, for doing this. Like the sacrifices that we make um, day to day and how we have to maybe arrange our lives and, and some of the you know hardships really, you know, I feel like we grow and have so much more joy in Jesus because of the fact that we are fostering as opposed to if we we weren't fostering. You know, and day to day, our happiness maybe is up or down, but we know that we have joy in, in Christ every single day. We can wake up to his mercies every day. And no matter what hits us when it comes to the fostering um, perspective, we're way able to handle it because of um, he's called us to this. And it's out of our love for him and his love for us through his son, Jesus, that we can do this every day.
3: Yeah. One verse that I really repeat to myself is Isaiah 58 the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And Jesus is that spring for us that keeps us going and allows us to keep going on on the hard days and um, just experience His grace and mercy along the way.
2: Yeah, and the Jubilee community I think's been really important as we think about our fostering experience. There's other families at the city location, Sunset Hills, the Lake Washington, who are all in this, you know, this life with us that we can go and lean on. We can text when something's going tough. We can get meals, feel taken care of. We can get ministered to, and also just share our experiences as we go through it. So without that community, on top of God calling this, uh, calling us to this, it would be impossible for us to really. Um, you know, I think do this at all or even do this remotely well.
3: And I just think all the time that if He's called us to this, He will see us through it. And I think we rest in that every day that um, we don't always know why, but we know He's with us.
0: Foster and adoption has always been pretty near to my heart. And I had a pretty good idea that it would be part of my story at some point. But I think I had these expectations of what that looked like, expectations that I would be married and I would maybe have kids or a house or whatever that might be. So kind of had this idea that this was a a far off future thing. And there was a Sunday a few years ago, we were celebrating as a church what was happening with families coming alongside of deciding to foster, to adopt. Um, And I remember thinking like, that's great and that's something that I believe you have called me to, God, but that's probably five to 10 years from now. In that moment, I felt God really challenge me um, and speak to me and say, why are you putting limits on me of like what I can do, of who I can use, of how I can use you in this ministry? And that was really humbling, I think, and really forced me to to trust Him in that, to trust Him in my season of singleness as a single woman, um, to trust Him with my future, to trust Him with this calling that I felt like He had placed on my heart, um, and not wanting Him to be limited in what He could do. I took it to prayer. I prayed a lot. I surrounded myself with friends who were in it, um, who were fostering or adopting themselves to hear their story, to watch their journey, to care for their kids. And through that, I think around the same time is when I heard about CASA, so a unique opportunity with a nonprofit to be appointed as an advocate for one particular child within the foster care system to build a relationship with them, to support them, to advocate for their needs, um, and to be like a consistent presence in their life when other people around them may be changing, um, and to support them until they reach a permanent home solution. And yeah, I think that's something that God uniquely gave me the capacity for in this season. As a single person, as someone navigating a new career, um, as someone living in an apartment with a roommate, you know this was an opportunity that I I may not have the capacity to care for kids in my own home right now, and maybe that is something that he will call me to in the future. Um, but right now, um, this is something that he has equipped me for, that he has given me the capacity for. Um, He's even used some of my skill set to really advocate for some medical needs that this child has. And God's been really faithful in this. Specifically with CASA, um, I get to spend time every month with a sweet two-year-old boy um, and his grandmother. And it's just been really cool to see how that relationship is forming. Um, I get to pray for Him by name, daily, um, and just really support them through this messy um, thing that is foster care. Um, And He's providing, and He is faithful, and when things are frustrating or I don't have the answer, I don't know how um, to advocate, um, I'm just reminded of the fact that He cares for each of us so deeply. He cares for this child more than I ever could. Um, He is sovereign over this situation and I can put my trust in that. I just feel really encouraged to be a part of a church that has a heart for this, that is championing caring for the widows and the orphans, just like James talks about. I think it's been helpful for me to see all of the different roles that are being filled because it's such a, it's such an all-encompassing need. Um, And so just like with the body, we need all of the different parts, we need all of the different members. Um, With foster care, we need so many different roles, so many different pieces, and they're all important. And so being reminded of that fact, so being able to, See friends that are fostering, see friends that have adopted, see friends that are um, meeting financial needs, that are prayerfully meeting needs. Um, I think that's been huge to be, to feel like I'm surrounded by a community that cares about this together. And I've had so many people ask me about it, ask me about my journey, want to pray for me, um, want to support me in this. Um, so I just think it's such a beautiful representation of the body of Christ.